0: Grace and peace to you from our triune God. Amen. It's not that difficult to be reminded of that we live in a time of profound disunity, is it? Our own federal government only just in the last several days reached a temporary agreement so that the government would be funded for the next three weeks after a month of being at least partially shut down. And it's fairly easy for us to cast blame on the representatives and the president. Why can't they just work together and do their jobs? Why is everything such a mess all of the time in politics? But if we examine our, our world and examine our lives, we realize that it's not just in politics that we see this disunity As I shared in in our acorn for February, our own denomination is under the threat of schism because of our differing understandings of human sexuality. We don't know what exactly is gonna happen at the end of this month when General Conference hopefully resolves our decades-long disagreement over LGBTQ inclusion in the church that's reached fever pitch in recent years. And it's not just at our denominational level either. We even see this in our local community. You can read it in the comment section on social media, say on the articles that the uh, Daily Record shares. If you read through those comments, you can see that we live in a time of profound disunity. You can see it in the ways in which we treat those with whom we disagree. So as a society, we've lost the ability to disagree civilly, to to still treat others with respect and love, even in the midst of disagreement. We fail to see the ways in which we relate to one another. The world that Paul inhabited was perhaps not all that much different than ours, and I know that this is a common refrain, Uh, we like to think that we've come a long ways, but perhaps we have not. The ruling class was still the ruling class in those days. They lorded their power over their subjects without much regard for them or their plight. And the reality of the Corinthian church that Paul was writing to reveals one of conflict and discord. Paul had to address problems after problem, crisis after crisis. In our particular passage for today, Paul is, like last week, addressing the fact that some people felt that they were more important than others in the Corinthian church. More than likely, it was because they felt that they had some of the more important spiritual gifts. In their minds, gifts like speaking in Tongues. They were preoccupied with their own self-aggrandizement at the expense of the more vulnerable members of their community. And this grieved Paul. I think this kind of behavior grieves Christ. And so Paul turns to a well-known image of that time, the image of the body representing the people. In classical thought, of that time, um, this way of thinking was really powerful. Each person had a role in the functioning of society. It, it, it kind of makes sense to us. Some were rulers, and without them, government would collapse. Others were merchants, keeping the economy moving along. Still others were the working class, providing goods and services to the empire. This image still holds true today, does it not? Not? In that time, the rulers, particularly the uh, emperor, were associated with the mind of the body. Without them, life collapses. And this was the thought. Those on the bottom of society were thought to be the less critical parts of the body, the less honorable parts. But just as Christ frequently subverted images and thought of his time, Paul flips this metaphor on its head. He doesn't use it to reinforce a hierarchy within the church, particularly at Corinth. And even though such a hierarchy would more than likely have benefited him personally, instead he uses it to level the playing field. He reminds the Corinthians that each and every part of the body is critical, it's crucial to the well-being and functioning of the body. He even reaches comical heights as he evokes images of a body made up of nothing but eyes or of nothing but ears. We know that such a body, if we can call it such, is no body at all. It's missing out on so much of what life has to offer. The sensation of feeling, of smelling, of experiencing life in a rich array of senses as God created us to experience it. And so it is with the church and with Christ. The church is made up of a profound diversity of people. Even among clergy, we find people of dramatically different gifts and passions. Some clergy are gifted preachers. Others are wonderful at pastoral care. Still others are profoundly gifted at keeping the church in good order administratively while others feel at home teaching a congregation. The gifts can go on and on and on. And then as we look at the church as a whole, we find that the laity possess an even greater variety of gifts and passions. Some are gifted musicians, assisting in our worship. Others are liturgists, um, guiding our corporate worship through the reading of scriptures and leading of our prayers. Others are better gifted at leading behind the scenes in committees, making sure that the church is able to work to fulfill its mission, while others uh, um, are able to live out the mission uh, of the church, assisting with any variety of the ways that we've already mentioned, in addition to serving their community. We, perhaps without much thought, witnessed this on Thursday morning as some of the women of this church devoted their morning to making sure that a grieving family could share a comforting meal after Ed's funeral. The simple fact is that none of these roles or work elevates one person over another. Despite my public role as the pastor of Oak Chapel, I'm certainly no more important than any of you sitting in the pews here today. I have a particular skill set and responsibility placed on me, but this doesn't mean that I, as a member of the clergy, am any different class of Christian. I'm simply a different member of the body of Christ, just as you are all different members of the body of Christ. We're all a critical part of that body, of the church. And our welcome of all people should reflect this view of the body. So it is with the church, and so it is with Christ. While I've said that none of the roles we have and the work we do elevates one person over another, we also can't say that there isn't a preferential option that God seems to exercise. If the church is indeed the body of Christ, shouldn't the church be like Christ? If that's the case, the church should prioritize the poor and the marginalized. The church, to use a phrase I was reminded of yesterday, should comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Those without means of various sorts should always be taken care of. We should always give the poor and the poor in spirit our attention. It's by the gift of the Spirit breathed upon us through our baptisms that we are empowered to reflect Christ in our lives. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 12-13 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so it's by this one spirit that we're able to be a united faith community. By the one spirit we're able to be a missional community. By we all bring different gifts to bear on a shared mission by way of a shared vision. By the one spirit we're joined as one body. We can and should embrace diversity while existing in one united church, grounded by the one Holy Spirit. By the one Spirit, we're empowered through the waters of our baptism. This is the way into the body in the first place. By baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit in our lives and we're made adopted children into the family of God. Yet we often forget what our baptism means. And we fail to uphold our baptismal vows. But by the grace of God, we can reclaim those vows. Something that we did a few weeks ago on Baptism of the Lord Sunday. And we can remember that in all ways and in all places, we are valuable members of the body of Christ. God intends for us to be in relationship with him and with one another through the church on the foundation of Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God put you, each of you, in this world at this time and in this place, you specifically. God wants to use you, all of us, and the gifts he's given us to reflect Christ's love to our community. The thing that often stops us from living into God's will for our lives is that we're too busy trying to be something that others are or something that others think we should be instead of who God created us to be. So be who you are and what you are. You're just as important to the mission of God, the mission that God has for this church as the next person. As we live into who God created us to be, we need to recognize who God created others to be. And as we do this, we need to welcome everyone, particularly the least among us, into this ragtag band of disciples as we follow after our good shepherd, caring for all the sheep that he wants to bring into his fold. Amen. Amen.